Listeners, and welcome aboard Costume Station Zero. I'm Bob Mitch, and today I'm with a really good friend of mine. Uh, he wears many hats, uh, writer, producer, and used to work in special effects, uh, which is what we're going to focus on today. So please welcome Paul Salamoff. Thanks for having me, Bob. So I like to start at the beginning. Uh, you know, first off, I know we're big dyed-in-the-wool Doctor Who fans. <laughs> um, I, I know this is sliding a little off cosplay, but uh, tell me how you got into Doctor Who. Um, Why well, I, I was fortunate enough to grow up on the uh, East Coast, a suburb of Boston, and we had WGBH there, which was one of the, you know, few stations that actually got Doctor Who pretty consistently. So I grew up in the, uh, you know, the <clears throat> early 70s, you know, 80s, um, uh, and discovered Doctor Who one day. And I was like, what is this? You know, what is this right. show? And I just absolutely fell in love with it so it was tom baker and it was you know really starting with robot now you know starting with um you know the the first series they what they would do was kind of great was they'd show a season and then when they would get the new season they'd start with the previous season go through that and then they would continue with the new season oh. and then they would go back to the beginning so i mean i got to see these things so many times mm -hmm. and you know just been a lifelong fan since that point would you say that Tom Baker was the key that attracted you to the show? Yeah, I, I really liked... Um, I, I just thought he was such an interesting character, and, you know, he'll always be my doctor. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, there was something really, you know, special about him, especially that period, the Philip uh, Hein... Uh, Hinchcliffe. Uh, period. It was just such a great... I, I really liked that, you know, uh, that really dark, mysterious... You know, I was into Sherlock Holmes, too, so mm -hmm. it sort of had that feel to it and uh drew me in very quickly and fell in love with it just immediately mm -hmm. uh yeah the gothic horror period I think yes fans call it yeah completely mm -hmm. yeah i mean I, I like all of time but you're right there's something special about those first three or four seasons yeah so uh moving into your work in special effects and creature building which uh if anyone knows uh you know paul and i worked together on doing the morbius creature yes for gallifrey one which won best in show yep at the masquerade mm -hmm. uh very uh, very happy about that um Labor of Love, and there's a fantastic detailed blog I did about this, which I'll repost at this. And uh, I, I guess what I want to say is, you know, your knowledge um, of how we put that together, it, it, as you said when we started it, I could do this in my sleep, and you weren't kidding. <laughs> so uh, I want to just kind of go back to the beginning of that. How did you get into uh, creature building and effects work? Well, um, you know, I grew up in actually one of the biggest sports communities of all, all of New England. It's called Natick. That's the town I grew up in. And, um, you know, not very, you know, big movie community by any stretch of the imagination, really into sports. But I, I didn't really care about sports. And um, when I was 13 years old, 
my father had taken me to a science fiction convention in Boston, and one of the guests they had there was Tom Savini, and Tom Savini was a makeup effects artist uh, who you might uh, recognize the name from uh, Friday the 13th, Friday the 13th Part 4, Dawn of the Dead, Creepshow, Maniac, um, and he had brought all these props um, from his movies, including Jason, including, you know, Fluffy from Creepshow, and I'm watching this guy on stage standing there with my father, and I'm like, wow, this guy makes monsters for a living. Um, and I, I sort of just right at that moment, I said, that, that's what I want to do. I, I mean, this guy gets paid to make monsters. Sure. So fortunately, my dad's a dentist. And uh, so a lot of the uh, stuff that's used in makeup effects is like alginate and dental acrylic and stone and all sorts of stuff are dental supplies. Mm -hmm. So um, my father was, you know, he knew I wasn't going to become a dentist. I think it was pretty firmly established. Right. So at least it gave him a nice thrill uh, to teach me how to use, you know, <clears throat> those supplies and so forth. And so I learned that and uh, I got Tom Savini's book, uh, Grand Illusions. It's also called Bizarro. And sort of just you know, made my own homemade effect stuff and, you know, really taught myself. I worked in a video store and in a movie theater and they would let me dress up uh, when certain movies would come up or make displays. And then from that point on, I, I, you know, I'd set my sights on coming out to California and where I was fortunate enough to get into school at USC and, um, you know, worked on student films. And then my first summer out here, I, I got a job as a runner for Tony Gardner's Alterian Studios. Oh, that's great. Hey, fellow Trojan right here. Yes, yeah. that's, that's right. Awesome. Before we, we dive further into this, I'm just curious. Uh, I didn't know you used to do displays for um, movie theaters. Can you tell me like a standout one for you? Um, well, actually, the, the displays I did were for video stores. Um, I did... Um, <laughs> I, Reanimator is my favorite uh, horror movie, right? Uh -huh. And uh, it, it was the movie that really, really solidified me wanting to do this. You know, it solidified my love for horror. So when From Beyond was coming out, which was the same team that had did, um, you know, Reanimator, was that when that was coming out on home video, I built a Dr. Pretorius bust, you know, from the, actually from the waist up, um, and, uh, my own, um, jeez, oh, where's my brain? The, the name, the resonator. Mm -hmm. I built a resonator with it and, oh, wow. uh, yeah, I still have pictures of it. It's pretty funny. Um, but so they let me build that. I, I built a Jason for one Friday 13th part. Ooh, was it seven or eight? I think it was maybe part seven was coming out. New blood or takes Manhattan? <clears throat> uh, new, I, it might've been new blood. Okay. But it could have been when Takes Manhattan was on. So I made a Jason that was in the shop, too. But like even at the movie theater, when, when uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4 came out, I, uh, I dressed up as Freddy Krueger, and I would sneak into the movie theaters and scare people while they were watching the movie, <laughs> which was pretty fun. So, yeah, fun stuff like that. That's that's awesome. Um, you know, I, I, I love the stories of uh, where this starts essentially in, in childhood and teenage years and how this sort of grows into a profession. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you get your first gig. Uh, what was the first project you worked on? Well, I, I did work on the, the tail end of Darkman, but I, I don't really consider that as being, you know, one of the films I worked on. Um, you know, one of the first... I did intern with some, you know, with a guy while I was at USC and worked on some, like, just absolutely forgettable movies. But I'd say my first really big credit was a movie called The Dark Backwards, which was an Adam Rifkin movie. He did uh, Detroit Rock City. Um, but it had one of the most incredible casts. It had um, 
Judd Nelson and Rob Lowe and um, um, uh, Bill Paxton and Laura Flynn Boyle, who is, you know, in in um, uh, Twin, Peaks. Twin Peaks at the time. Uh, and it also had James Caan and... Um, I know. Oh, um, uh, Dunkashang. Who sings Dunkashang? Um, Wayne Newton. Wayne Newton. Yeah. And Wayne Newton. So I mean, this was an insane cast, and mm-hmm. and this was my like really like first time on set, and I was uh, basically Jed Nelson plays this comedian who has a third arm growing out of his back. It's a very bizarre movie. I and remember I, it. Yeah, very yeah. bizarre movie. And I was arm harness wrangler. That was my uh, <laughs> that was my uh, position. I put it. Um, it was great because I was a big fan of Bill Paxton because of Aliens and Near Dark, and you know at the time he was you know saying a nobody but he was kind of a nobody and so i would hang out with him on set and he was like the nicest guy and it's just amazing that he, you know how his career has oh, just yeah. exploded mm-hmm. i mean it's just amazing he was always a really nice guy and uh so that was a thrill for me because i was a big near dark fan and big aliens fan awesome so i guess what i'm curious about is See, I, I see the Paul Salamoff who was able to just crack out a Morbius creature in like nine working days. And I'm wondering, how, do you, how did you get to this point? Where What steps were you learning along the way that was very crucial in this process? Well, the funny thing, and I always tell people this, I, I, I did um, makeup effects professionally for 14 years. And I worked on over 40 films, 10 TV series, and uh, more commercials than I can remember. Yeah, um, well, a very cool list of credits. I was just looking at I mean, I knew of some of them, but when I was looking them over i'm like oh my gosh there's batman and robin and these fairly brothers comedies and escape mm-hmm. from la and the tick series i mean so yeah. much stuff that you know must have been fantastic to work on. i mean good learning experiences even yeah. if it wasn't you know oh yeah yeah no i mean it was it was really great I, i'm i'm very lucky because you know i, I worked at about 25 different shops over the years <clears throat> there was a couple of shops they sort of made my home for a while and or i'd run their shops or so forth but it was always fun I mean, the great thing about makeup effects is it's always different. Every day is different, and you're always building things that have never been built before. Um, So, you know, it was always exciting. It was always stressful. But, you know, being a huge movie fan, Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, when I would work on something like a Batman movie or like Critters 3 or, you know, I mean, it's, you know, or I worked on a Full Moon movie or a Roger Corman film. I I mean, as a fan... I mean, it was amazing. You know, the funny thing is, I, I I was I think I was like the second youngest person working in makeup effects when I got started, and I had a nickname which I have in in two of the movies that I worked on in Dark Backwards and in Mum and Dad Save the World. Uh, I'm list, listed as Paul Squidly Salamoff, <laughs> and for those who don't know, Squidly, Squidly a squid is actually a derogatory term <laughs> uh, for somebody who's sort of like. A fan, an uber fan, like I, I, and it was sort of this stigma that, for some odd reason, I wasn't supposed to really be into the stuff I was working on. That was uncool. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I mean, it almost is like some of these shops is almost like working in high school. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but even in even in nerds, you know, even in nerds and geeks, there's you know a hierarchy, a hierarchy, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> you know, I was I was Squidly. That was my nickname, and it, and it was like. You know, because I really, really loved the movies that I was working on. And, you know, I worked on Adam's Family was one of my first films. And, you know, but I wore that as a badge of honor. I mean, like, I never really took that as the derogatory, you know, nature that it was. 
because I always thought it was very weird. It's like, why shouldn't I love what I'm working on? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and the excitement of getting, you know, to work on, I, I mean, what, I think one of the funniest stories is when <clears throat> I was I was working on the Hulk. Now, mind you, this was before Ang Lee's the Hulk. It was Jonathan Hensley was going to be directing it. Galen Hurd was still the producer. And they were trying to do the Hulk. Um, this was the first time they were really trying to do the Hulk. And we had, it was Tony Gardner's shop and then it was Steve Johnson's shop. And I was working for Tony. And uh, we were making, we were making two creatures. They were making two creatures. And we worked on it for, you know, a couple of months. And we shot like a trailer at Universal, which I've never seen. I, I, Love to see it. Hmm. This um, is all meant to be practical, not CG. Yeah, it was all meant to be practical. I mean, this is, oh, geez, we, we had a suit, we had this character called Novak, who was sort of like walking lava, if you could imagine that. And the, you know, like the, the heat, the, the color in between the black plates, right? was done with black light. We had black light paint. Uh I mean, you do this so easily with, I mean, first of all, you'd make him a CG character today anyways. But even like a couple of years later, you would have so much, it would be so much easier to do this with just digital, you know, I mean, digital effects. Mm -hmm. But no, everything was practical. And um, so Tony comes up to me one day and he goes, Oh, I need you to take, I need to take you off of the Hulk to work on this other movie we're working on. And and he hands me this script, and he goes, oh, it's by the guys who did Kingpin. And I look at it, it's called There's Something About Mary, and I'm like, you are not, I, I was not a fan of their work at the uh-huh. time. You know, I liked some of their movies, like Dumb and Dumber was fun, I didn't really get Kingpin. And I remember saying to Tony, I'm like, you are not taking me off The Incredible Hulk to work on There's Something About Mary, right? <laughs> and, you know, obviously I had no choice or no say in it. And, you know, I get taken off the Hulk for a period of time, and obviously I, I wind up building the fake dogs for There's Something About Mary and oh, wow. going on set, and it turns out, to, you know, the Hulk gets canned, and Mary turns out to be one of the most successful, biggest comedies of all time. So it's like, who, who knew? <laughs> I mean, who knew? Yeah, the, the William Goldman, <clears throat> no one knows anything. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, the, the, the point is, is that I actually wound up working on movies that I had no idea were going to be you know, big films that wound up being big films. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're working with big stars, too. Like, you know, I always joke that Leonardo DiCaprio was the main star of Critters 3. And oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew, Who knew he was going to be, one, you know, was, I mean, he's amazing. I was just watching The Departed again the other day. He is such an amazing actor. Mm-hmm. He was a nice kid. <laughs> I mean, he, he had literally just gotten the job on um, Growing Pains when we were doing oh, Critters wow. 3. Wow. Yeah, and it was like... Who'd have thunk it? Mm-hmm. I, I worked with Naomi Watson on uh, uh, Children of the Corn 4. Humble beginnings. Humble beginnings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, humble beginnings. So you've worked uh, both with, um, obviously, creature-building sort of costumes and uh, props as well? Um, you know, I, I did work for... It, most of the props I've worked on were more like effects props that were sort of like... I only worked for one official prop company... Um, but it was doing effect stuff. Um, I actually did make the only prop that I'm like consider myself like famous for making, okay. <laughs> which Wait is not on. even famous, All right. is I made the fireplace poker that Rebecca Demornay beats everybody with and the hand that rocks the cradle oh my and the knife she gets stabbed with. Uh, other than that, uh, when I was working the place, we actually made penguins for Batman Returns. Oh, that's cool. Uh, me and my buddy Bill, we made, like, it was a ridiculous amount of penguins in, like, two and a half. It was, like, something like 90 penguins in two and a half weeks. And what was funny is that we just saw, I was just at Comic-Con, and there was some 
place that sells props and they were selling one for something like $2,000 or something. And Bill and I were joking with the guys and they, you're basically selling this for more money than we got paid to make these Ooh. stupid things. <laughs> can, can I ask what they were made out of? Yeah, they were, um, well, I mean, look, we use a lot of very bizarro chemicals with names. So when I say that it's made out of, it was made out of EST-40 backed with uh, 1014, I think it was 1014 polyfoam. I don't know if that's going to mean anything to you. Okay. But they were basically, it, it was basically a, the outer shell is sort of like a polyfoam that doesn't rise. Mm -hmm. And then it's, it's filled up with a polyfoam that rises. Okay. So they, they they stick to each other quite well and they you know they they work together with each other really well but um yeah they're one one has a more rubbery feel and one has a more foamy feel to it okay so but yeah we made so many of those things it was ridiculous <laughs> but it was fun because it was hey it was batman and batman returns you of know? course yeah big movie and early in your career yeah yeah that was um so i guess uh i mean okay Creature building, yes. people who would just be getting into it, uh, what kind of techniques would you recommend they do if, say, they want to do something along the lines of... The, I mean, clearly, if they're going to do a Morbius, there's a nice blog about this that I can yeah. direct people to. We don't need to heavily get into that. But let's say, for example, people want to do an Ice Warrior. What would you recommend well, they do? Well, here's the thing. <clears throat> um, here, you know, here's the funny thing that I, I tell people um, that a lot of people can't believe okay. is that... I I consider myself a, more of a technician than an artist. Like my best friend Bill, he is an artist. He was an incredible sculptor, incredible painter. Um, I can't sculpt or paint really to save my life, and I can't draw at all either. You know, yet I was able to do this professionally for 14 years. Um, I found my niche doing stuff like, well, I was great at doing lab work, which is what I started doing. But then I learned how to do foam construction, hair work, and, and puppeteering. Now, foam construction is a really great technique for building costumes really inexpensively. Uh, you know, especially Morbius, which was very inexpensive to make. Um, and if you're clever, you can use foam construction uh, instead of having to do the traditional route, which is typically you start with some kind of head form, because if you're going to make something that's going to fit on a human body, um, and having to sculpt with clay, mm -hmm. make a mold, then pour it up in either like a latex or a foam latex or whatever. I mean, it, uh, honestly, if you really want to, uh, I'll just say, I'll give a shout out to that show Face Off. Mm -hmm. There's a show on the Sci-Fi channel that's sort of like Top Chef with makeup effects artists. Right. Uh, it's a great place to really see how some of these techniques are put into motion. Mm -hmm. But you'll see exactly what I'm talking about with, you know, having to sculpt something and mold it and then do it. That process is very time consuming. Sure. It's very, it can be very expensive, especially when, uh, especially if there's specific types of molds you make, uh, it takes a lot of training and understanding of the techniques. Um, while something like foam construction is something that I'm not, I'm not going to say that, Oh, anybody can do it, but it's a little bit easier to deal with. If you understand the process of, you know, making clothes. I mean, that's the best way to just sort of describe it. I mean, it's really a lot of, 
patterning mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of just sort of darting and gluing to get desired shapes out of a sheet of like you know mattress foam, which is sort of like you know what you sit on on your couch. Um, mattress foam is fairly inexpensive um, and uh, comes in lots of different uh, thicknesses. So depending on the type of, you know, creature you want to make, you might have actually different thicknesses. And then what you do is you just cover it with latex, which is like basically just painting on paint onto the surface of it, you know, to sort of give it like um, to seal it, basically. But, uh, you know, obviously we're going to talk some more here and I'll get a little bit more specifics. But I mean, that that is a way what's so great about uh, doing foam construction is there's all different types of of foam ranging from really soft stuff to very rigid foam called uh l200 oh yeah yeah that um is very dense um it's very dense foam and you can actually make it look like metal oh yeah which is really great so i mean like making a cyberman you can make a cyberman out of l200 foam and it'll look like it's made out of metal if you're clever with how you paint it which is actually what malachi yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah um, no, you're, you're absolutely right. A lot of this isn't just how you finish it, but I think it is. Uh, I had dabbled a bit <clears> with some pieces of my Cyberman in foam construction, the L200, and I had some idea where to take it. Oh, and my Sash of Rassilon, which also is L200. But then when we really went down the rabbit hole, as I like to call it, with Morbius, I was it really opened my eyes going, wow, there's, there's no end to what you can do. Well, maybe there is an end, but it feels like there's no end to what you can do here. And, uh, well, let's, okay, let me, let me start with saying that when we started Morbius, at, per, at first I was thinking, okay, I understand the basic concept of what we're doing, but when you sat down and really walked me through the process, uh, I was mainly surprised at how quickly you could ascertain the shape, do it flat, and we rarely had to go back and redo things. Yeah. That you were generally, nine times out of ten, getting it on the first try. Now, is that just experience, or would you say that's just, you um. know, you know, that's a good question. Well, uh, the obvious answer is yes, it is experience. It, it is experience. and But it, it's really about knowing shapes. Mm-hmm. I think that's really and, – and what's really great is, especially when it comes to making patterns and so forth, if you can find real, like, art, pre-existing shapes or pre-existing things that are, cl- you know, roughly close to the size you need it, um, you can make patterns off of that. I mean, you can cover things in tape, you know what I mean? And then just pull them off and dart, you know, and cut them so they dart properly. So sure. they lay flat. Mm-hmm. So they lay flat with as, as much, uh, you know, as little cutting as possible. Because, you know, figure every time you, you know, uh, cut into it to lay it flat, that's something you're going to have to glue together later. So you, you want to do it in the least amount possible. So even if you don't have experience um, just looking at a flat piece of paper and knowing how to create a pattern, you know, we use butcher paper, which right. you can buy a whole roll of butcher paper. Pretty, how, how much was it? We bought? Know, probably like 20 bucks. Yeah, 20 bucks. Yeah. You get a huge roll of butcher's paper, which is great to make patterns with. Uh, it's also good for protecting the table when you're, when you're gluing stuff. Oh yes. Um, so, you know, if you can't just lay a piece of paper down and, and know how to just intrinsically draw a pattern you know uh then you could find something and make a pattern off of it that's you know relatively the same size and shape or if it's just the same size but not the, i mean sorry the same shape but not the same size you at least have an idea of what the pattern will look like and you can you know make it bigger you know based on on your needs but but what's really amazing with the foam construction is that 
it's a very organic process to get a very organic shape. So you might start out with, you know, a ball, let's say just like a, a, a ball or, or just like an arm or something like that. And then you can add stuff on top of it um, <clears throat> that will, you know, give you, you know, will distort the shape, you know, and give you more unusual shapes than just like, you know, a cone. You know what I mean? Or something like that. I mean, that, that the thing is you can actually build up layers where, like, you know, with Morbius, you know, we built the chests, but then we gave them pecs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, and then, you know, in the shoulder, you know, we, we gave them shoulders, but then we, you know, had to add stuff for the neck and so forth. So, you know, you don't always have to get the shape on the, f on the first layer. It might be a build-up technique where you're adding more foam on top of it or a different thickness of foam or maybe even like even a very thin, thin, thin foam that you're making wrinkly and stuff like that just to give you weird textures. Mm -hmm. No, that was that was brilliant actually, giving it for the neck folds. I thought yeah. that was great. Um, yeah, no, I, I was thinking about how um, when, when you do build this up for, for musculature, uh, you also, um, what was, what was it? We added the, the one eighth layer mm -hmm. for the skin, yes. which did a lot also to give it that organic feel. Yes. And that yeah. was it sort crucial. of, it blends everything sort of yes. in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It blends everything in. That's, that's, what's great. I mean, it's a nice technique where, you know, it's almost like if you're sort of, if you sort of take a step back and think of it like you're building the anatomy. Yes. You know what I mean? I think that's a good way to, to really do it. Uh, and then your final layer is sort of like your texture layer. And, you know, there's so many techniques that we we employ and that I know Bob and I employed just on Morbius alone where, you know, and, and mind you, don't try this at home, kids. But, you know, I mean, just be careful with some of these techniques. But, I mean, you can use... Um, a heat gun, you can use an open flame um, to actually like somewhat melt the the foam to give it sort of like a rough rougher texture or give it like a bubbly kind of molten-y kind of texture to it. Um, you can also scribe stuff in with, you know, razor blades or with like a, a heat knife or something. Soldering iron. Soldering iron, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, just to sort of you know, build texture into it or, or just go in there and like rip off pieces of foam, like with your fingertips, just ripping off pieces of foam, just to do stuff to, you know, give it that sort of organic feel <clears throat> or do stuff like cotton and latex. We did, oh, we did some yeah. cotton and latex stuff. That was brilliant. Yeah. Or like just taking some cotton batting and some spray glue and, and gluing that on, you know, like webby type patterns or whatever. And then, you know, you see it because, you know, look, the ultimate goal is sort of like to cover this with a, you know, sort of a latex, a liquid latex, um, which when dries, um, <clears throat> you know, gives it a nice protective skin because, you know, foam can rip. Um, you always want to do this, but you use spray glue to seal. There's different types of spray glue that you can use to seal the, the surface of the foam so it won't absorb the latex. Because, look, the last thing you want is to have this, you know, big sponge basically, you know, yeah. soaking in latex right. all the way. And, you know, not only are you wasting latex, but you're now making your suit really heavy. Mm -hmm. So the idea is to seal it as best as possible with spray glue. And then when you paint the latex on, it adheres to the spray glue, but it's not absorbed by the, by the foam. And when you're doing the, the latex layers, you can still do, you could mix, 
you know, you could mix some kind of like oatmeal into the latex or, mm. or, or, uh, you know, some kind of, you know, uh, fibrous stuff into it or even cotton latex, you know, into the latex. Uh, and you can tint the latex too to give you a little head start, like what we did with Morbius. Mm, very true. Yeah, give you a little head start there, where your bottom layer we we tinted ours black. Yeah. Um, because we knew we wanted these deep crevices um, black. Um, and that just so when you do the paint job itself, it gives you a nice, you know, it really gives you that more tonality to it. You know, it's so it's not just so a flat a flat color. Yeah, uh, I, I think actually that, that cotton latex technique was, was really helpful in not only giving it uh, texture, but helping to hide all those joints. Seams, exactly, Seams. exactly. Ah. Yeah, Bob's right. It's like, you know, look, one of the things that you can do, like if you were to sculpt a suit, you, you, you'd sort of, you know, you'd only have the seams where, you know, the mold fit together. Um, you know, um, but... You know, when you're doing foam construction, there is a lot more seams that you need to hide. So the more layers you put, that's a lot, like a lot of times, like I'll cover my things with eighth inch foam, uh, a really, really thin, 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 thin foam, um, uh, just to hide those better, but you're still going to have to hide some. So he's right. You know, putting in texture around the seams, uh, is a great way to hide it. So if you're clever about where you try to put those seams, you know, it's sort of like the idea of the Superman suit. Yeah. You know what I mean? They had multiple Superman suits, so they, you know, you can never see a seam on it. Mm. You know, uh, you know, try to hide the seams as much as possible, you know, within texture or within the paint job. Uh, and you know, that, that even helps, you know, that helps more, uh, taking a pause to take a step back. I want mm -hmm. to explain to listeners again, this is all on the blog, but, um, that, uh, <laughs> remember when building a creature like this, whether it be for Dr. Who or Star Trek or whatever you're doing, uh, it's always good to build it on a body form. <laughs> Yes, and uh, you're gonna want a base suit of some kind of leotard. You're gonna put this in so it all joints together, and when you're wearing it, it feels like a suit. Because if it's just raw pieces of foam, that'll get a little hairy. Um, yes, that's a very, very, very excellent point that Bob uh, just brought up. Um, uh, yes, this is definitely that ne definitely needs to be understood. Uh, it's a really good idea to go to like uh, we went to Clarabelle's, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's a bunch of dance. You can go to dance studios. Uh, you want to get a uh, a leotard that zips in the back. Um, that is, you know, do you want to pretty much get a full leotard? Uh, you know, long sleeve, long sleeve on the hands, long, you know, maybe even booties on the, you know, on the feet. Um, that is what you'll build. Your, you put that on a body form, and that's what you'll build your pieces off of. Um, so it gives you something to glue directly down to, mm -hmm. um, or it just gives you... I mean, that, that's the best case scenario to actually glue down to that suit, because then what it does is it becomes... When you take it off, it's fused to your costume. So, you know, put it, getting in and out of it is way, way easier because, yes. you know, the, the foam now is holding that shape. So instead of having a, a, a um, whatever uh, black leotard thing that you're trying to get into that's not, you know, that's just like a... Uh, An undersuit? What do you mean? Yeah. Um, it's the best way to describe this. Uh, you're actually putting your arm 
in an expanded out piece of, uh, you know, into the bodysuit, yeah. as opposed to it being like, you know, just loose within yes. the confines of the yeah. suit. I know I'm not really explaining this really well, but, you know, it's actually now the suit itself as opposed to a separate element, which makes it much more difficult to get in. Mm. Um, but I always recommend then, you know, having another bodysuit or at least something like, you know, like riding shorts or riding shirt or just something that's going to help absorb, you know, sweat or whatever, um, you know, to help get you into the spandex even easier. But, uh, and, you know, that, that zip, you know, that, um, zipper part of the, um, uh, dance suit, you know, or whatever the body, the body suit, uh, that might not be your only zipper. You might have a zipper on the actual creature itself. Cause usually you want to put in a really, really heavy duty zipper that you're going to need to hide. Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, if you do a suit in, you know, a, a top and a bottom, you know, you might have that as well. So it's also being clever. Got to remember, you got to get in and out of this thing as well. Yeah. And in a similar point, uh, when, when, at, if your creature requires uh, boots inside, uh, whatever you use for your donor boots, make sure they're fully zipped up before you seal it. Cause we ran into that problem. Um, they weren't zipped up and every, the first time I tried to put that suit on, uh, my foot couldn't find the right footholds cause it would slip out and around the boot and that, Created lots of problems, so we could actually find and you know, finagle our arms into the suit and find the zipper and, and correct that issue. Yeah, it's a great idea, definitely, to put like a if you're gonna have like big monster feet to have some kind of shoe in there, um, shoe or boot. Boots are better because you know they have high. There are high things, so because you, you're not going to have access to be able to tie your sneakers, you know, unless they're like things you can slip into. So a boot is such a great idea because. <clears throat> it's a high, you know, it, it goes up high, so you can actually reach in there and grab the sides of it to help you slip your foot in easier. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, okay, I'm, I'm still, just as an example, I'm thinking Ice Warrior. Now, mm -hmm. if you're doing arms and legs, that's very similar to uh, a Morbius and probably could be approached in the same manner. Yes. But the main part, that chest piece is hard, very yes. rigid. So would foam construction still be a good method for that? Or would there be another method you'd recommend? I know fiberglass is how they made it, but that's going really far. For yeah. People. Well, I would never make that out of fiberglass now. I mean, like that would be crazy. It would be very heavy. It could be very uncomfortable to wear. And you really got to know your crap if you're going to, you know, build something like that. And it would also be very expensive. Now, <clears throat> an alternate would be to do vacuum form. But once again, that can be a little expensive. You still need to make forms. Um, to do um and they're rather large for a vacuum yeah and rather large for vacuum form so it's going to be even more expensive uh and it, it it causes some weight now there is a best of both worlds. i mean i would do that out of l200 mm -hmm. because you could give the um impression that it is hard by doing it on l200 and yeah. and putting that texture in it and then covering it with some kind of lacquered finish mm -hmm. um you can i i have discovered that you can spray paint l200 oh yes you can which is really amazing um, with acrylic paints so if you were to build up some paints and then start using some more you know gloss based or shellac based you might have to do some tests mm -hmm. you might be able to actually if you sealed it if you know if you were able to seal it well enough um, to do some kind of shellacking on top of it to give you that, you know, the impression of, of that. Uh, it would definitely be a rigid thing. Now, you could also build it out of L200 and then vacuum form on top of the L200, where the L200 becomes, I found out 
working on a uh, George Michael music video where we had to make these really like a RoboCop type costume, but obviously we didn't have the budget to do a RoboCop <laughs> costume. So I found that you could build stuff out of L200. You could actually make vacuform forms out of L200. Mm. Um, but they would really have to be made really well to be able to survive the, you know, the the process of when it sucks it down. Mm-hmm. So uh, they have to be reinforced a little bit more. Um, um, but you could do that. You could actually build the form out of like a half inch or quarter inch L200 and vacuum form on top of it, a very, very thin layer mm-hmm. of, of clear vacuum form that would actually go it would live on top of the L200. Sure. And you could, in what would be really nice is you could back paint the vacuum form to really give that, you know, give that. So if you used a mm-hmm. clear vacuum form, okay. you could actually paint the back of the vacuum form um, to, you know, before you fused it, you know, to the L200. Right. And that would give you a really, really nice gloss look. Hmm. But that's a more expensive way to go and would probably that would be more of an advanced technique uh so sticking with the idea that it would be just a a painted l200 which would certainly do fine i think it would look fantastic like that um and maybe even employing some of the uh texture techniques on top of that uh and building it up because obviously it's got the the weird scales and and ribbing So, uh, approaching the, the helmet of the Ice Warrior, would that be better to take a found object and build on it or completely make it from scratch, from uh, foam? You know, you know, if we're talking about um, sort of the, the, the sort of the classic, you know, because there's those background ones and there's like all these different versions of Ice Warriors, sort of. And the Ice Lord. Yeah, and the Ice Lord. If you're talking about like sort of the classic Ice Warrior... I would just completely foam construct that. I mean, like, you know, obviously you could make, if you, in the advanced technique would be to do a uh, vacuum form, uh, you know, vacuum form version of it. But so it had consistency with, you know, the chest. <clears throat> I would, I would foam construct it too, because then you get the same look. Um, and it would be something that you could foam construct out of L200 very easily that would, be a nice rigid helmet mm-hmm. that would be very lightweight to begin with sure and it would be very comfortable to wear um it's a very it's a it's an extremely easy sh- um shape to to do um i would definitely recommend doing it out of foam construction 100 percent. and for the the lenses just working in some uh, some plastic oh yeah yeah of course just like get a- some yeah tinted plastic you can get uh, plenty, you can get plastics like that uh, that you just do for the lenses. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's a really, uh, that's a fairly, that's not a difficult thing to do. But for the, the mouthpiece underneath, now that, that would require like pebbled skin. Would that be traditional oh. makeup? <clears throat> yeah, that would have to be a makeup. That, that could be, I know they use just a, a, a rubber, like latex piece. Or Rice Krispies or something like that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, like, you know, uh, it would be nice to, you know, make a mold of someone's face and, and, and sculpt that piece. Uh, but if you don't have that ability, then yeah, it, you would probably want to do something with a, a latex buildup where you would use latex and you'd build, use some kind of texture like a Rice Krispies or <clears throat> whatever you have access to, to sort of make that sort of technique. And then it's a piece that you could just then, you know, 
powder, paint, and then uh, just apply with, you know, uh, an adhe you know some kind of adhesive, um, I mean, even like a spirit gum, but, you know, there's better adhesives now, like prosthetic adhesive mm -hmm. for uh, applying something that's going to actually, you know, last. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, I, I think uh, moving down from the... The, the neck is a good point to bring up what we did on Morbius, which is uh, that kind of fur neck, the hair, mm -hmm. and doing, uh, what, hair application in the same similar manner, I imagine? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that... Um um, but yeah, I mean, you can find, what's great is they sell so many different types of fun fur, you know, inexpensive fur, not like, you know, real animal, real animal fur, but there's all places that sell lots of different, you know, uh, different furs that you can use that are pre-made on backings that look really, really good, you know, ranging on how much you want to spend. Um, and those are perfect for just, you know, glue, if, if there's, you know, if there are wide areas of spaces that you can just glue it directly on, that's great. But then we always want to do with the hair like that is cut some of the, some of the hair. You, you save all the scrap hair you have, and then you cut the hair off of the backing and that stuff. So let's say you're going to do, let's just say we we're just going to do somebody's stomach. Let's say they had a hairy stomach, mm -hmm. you know, really hairy stomach. Right. Um, that you didn't see the skin underneath it, okay? And you basically stuck a circle or some kind of circular sort of shape, you know, with the backing onto the stomach. Well, it's going to look weird because it's just going to kind of end and it's going to look very fake. So what you can then do is take some of your scrap hair and cut the backing off of that and use, you know, to, uh, at a little time, you want to lay it around the entire edge of the, um, you know, of where the, the hair stopped, a good, like, inch would be nice, you know, feathering it out. So mm -hmm. then it feels like, oh, we're going from very thin hair where you can see the creature's skin underneath it to very dense hair. And that's what makes things look real, especially when you're doing hair work. True. Is if you need to use, I mean, mostly in effects, we'll... we'll we do something called hair transfer and, and it's kind of impossible for me to sort of explain this on a podcast, but it, it's literally shaving the hair off the backing, but like sort of putting tape on top of it um, to, to hold it all in place and shaving it off the backing and then gluing that onto the creature skin. So you actually see this, even though if it's really dense fur, it's you still see the the you know the skin below it and that's really makes things look real true yeah that, that was that was really effective on morbius and yeah. uh, this is better explained and shown in photos on the blog yeah right? it's kind of really hard to explain in, in uh, on a podcast uh but it's it's a it's a great <clears throat> technique and I, I recommend people uh check out the blog if they're further confused or or they can write to me and we can try to better explain it but really the photos i think make it very clear <laughs> that's where we lose the signal for this episode. Please check us out next time for the second half of my discussion with Mr. Paul Salamoff, where we'll be discussing more on creature building, tips, techniques, and the Morbius creature. If you want to find out more about Paul, please go to www.paulsalamoff.com. That's P-A-U-L. 
S-A-L-A-M-O-F-F.com. He also has a fan page on Facebook if you want to check that out. He's going to be publishing his third edition of On the Set about Hollywood etiquette, and his original graphic novel, Discord, is also available on Amazon.com. If you have any questions for myself, just go to www.costumestationzero.com, and I'll be happy to answer it, plus take any ideas, suggestions, or notions you might have. Thank you very much. This is Bob Mitch signing off for Costume Station Zero. Thank you.